heavy-handed canceling tactics, they are not persuading the people who most need to be persuaded. So you talked about pluralistic ignorance and the spiral of silence in, uh, in your new book. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure to what extent people believe that everybody else believes it, or if they know that uh, most people don't believe it, but there's a, a, a powerful enough minority that they got to keep their mouth shut anyway, if you see what I'm asking there. How, you know, how powerful a force is spiral of silence versus just in so, sort of self-censorship because of fear. Uh, is there a difference? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we ever really know, but let me, let me address that, if I, if I may, Michael, by just backing up a little bit and, and talking about the second half of the book. So the first half lays out basically the idea that it's not just a marketplace of ideas, it's a constitution of knowledge. The second half is you're being manipulated, and it's about the tactics that are being used to undermine this impersonal process of social discovery, social learning. And one of those goes by a name that didn't even exist when I started writing the book, which is cancel culture. But I called it um, coercive conformity. Nothing new about it. goes back to forever. Alexis de Tocqueville came to America in 1835 and said it was the biggest threat to freedom, that if you, if you were out of tune with majority opinion, um, you, you would lose your career, everyone would turn their back on you, your place in society, so you learn to stay quiet and chill. What Tocqueville didn't know, but what you alluded to just now, is that minorities can do exactly the same thing simply by being more outspoken, by being organized and focused so that when they see someone who's a dissenter against whatever it is that the minority wants to promulgate, they swat them down. They can go to the employer and say, do you really want to keep this racist on the payroll? They can go to the friends and say, you're friends with this person? Well, then maybe you're a racist too. They can uh, deprive them of their reputation by ganging up on Twitter, calling them a racist or a homophobe or whatever it is. So it doesn't really take that many people engaging in this kind of organized campaign for the rest of us to say, well, it's not really worth it. You know, we, didn't, we can live without having these conversations. Um, so it turns out that actually fairly small numbers of people can impose what's called, again, as you alluded to, a, what's called a spiral of silence. And that's a chilled environment where people are falsifying their preferences because one whole side is chilled and repressed because they don't want to get into this kind of social trouble. They figure it's just better to stay quiet. But then no one knows what anyone else is really thinking. You can have many people who believe X but aren't saying X. They're saying Y. Well, that has two effects. One is just that it chills the conversation because a lot of people are afraid to speak out, and that's the case today. 60% of Americans and 67% of college students say that they're afraid to state their real positions on political issues for fear of being, uh, uh, being swatted down, for fear of being ostracized or disapproved of. That's a huge number. It's one study finds approximately four times higher than the chilling effect at the height of the McCarthy era. But there's also this secondary thing that happens, which is even more subtle and twisted and weird and nasty, which is humans are consensus detectors. We go around sensing what are the other people in my social environment believe. That's how we decide what's acceptable not only to say, 
but to actually believe. Well, if you can game that, if you can create a false appearance of consensus that everyone believes X, just because everyone is in the same bubble of not being willing to say Y, that actually changes what people really believe. It changes what they perceive. This has been shown by psychologists. This is why the Soviet Union was so determined to silence people like Andrei Sakharov, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Andrei Omalrik, these dissidents. Small individual voices? Well, maybe. But they had the power to notify everyone else, wait a minute, there's another point of view in the room. That breaks the power, the spiral of silence. And that's why you see these, these, these coercers, these harassed cancelers, let's call them, why they can go to such great lengths to take punitive measures against anyone who they perceive steps out of line, or sometimes someone who does nothing at all in particular, but just to demonstrate that they can drop the hammer at will. This is very sophisticated stuff.